Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Arbo's most diabolical work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about histories, Arc 5, 5.x, however you want to refer to it. Uh, the interlude for Arc 5. Yeah. Um, and we this interlude starts out and it's clearly like it does some real work setting us back into the past. Um, <laughs> in the I think the first or second sentence we see people with bowler hats and then there's horses and carriages. And it really just gets you in this kind of dirty Sherlock Holmes London era, which is very fun. Yeah, yeah, you're immediately thinking of like Victorian era um, London and... Yeah, I think you're right. I think Sherlock Holmes is specifically name dropped uh, later in the chapter, which just feels like, uh, it, well, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun setting. Um, it, it, you know, obviously Pact is is kind of modern supernatural setting, but it does put you in that kind of gothic Victorian uh, setting, which is I, I always liked for supernatural stuff. Yeah, well, that like that gothic horror period has really defined modern supernatural so it feels so natural to have something like packed uh drop in there for a little bit you know yeah if you think about modern um horror type stuff like we're still very much defined by the sorts of ghost stories and and frankenstein and dracula that were big back then uh Mm. and so it's almost like a bit of an homage to to its roots in a way for packed to highlight the the time period a bit yeah yeah definitely and we we see that we're following a man and his familiar. What we find out is his familiar. Um, mm. We're looking to find somebody or somebodies, uh, a man and a woman. And there's this kind of vague sense of there's going to be some conflict here. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like the vagueness of this quest at the start. Like throughout the first whole half of this chapter, we're slowly learning more and more about like Joseph's quest and his... Mm. from his perspective he's very much set up as like your classic like hero like you know and and so as we learn he's on this classic heroic quest to save a girl who's being like you know kept prisoner by her evil father yeah it gives me very sweeney todd vibes actually (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's it's so uh just like he views himself as the archetypical hero and i think the more we learn the more I'm starting to suspect that that was not at all an accurate read on the situation. Yeah. Especially what we get right at the end. Uh, it's very, it's very horror awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like about the setup in this chapter as well is it's the man, Joseph, and the, another man that is always referred to as the companion or the familiar. And it's very much like what the fuck's going on with this guy? He's very vague. Um, <laughs> there's a line here where he says, rest easy, the man's companion said, you have me here. And it's this line of like, who or more likely what is this thing? Like, it's such a vague, cool uh, setup. Yeah, well, I think, that's, I think that line you've pulled is actually the first line that the companion is mentioned in. And there's just something about the way it's just like the man's companion. Like, it would have just said the man yeah. if he was human. So immediately when it says the man's companion you're already sort of thinking, okay, what, what is this guy? Uh, it, yeah, this it feels companion. very other, <laughs> with uh, a yeah. lowercase o. And then very quickly, I think it is established that he's the familiar, but there's still that sense of, yeah. what's his deal, though? Yeah. Um, this companion to me is also a great example of just like a really fun side character. Um, 
he seems really like down to earth. <laughs> like Joseph is, you know, he sees himself as this as this hero, right? He's on a bit of a hero's quest here. And this companion is the one who's like kind of dealing with the reality of the situation and trying to kind of ground Joseph a bunch, as well as just being really creepy. Very fun. He has that line about, you know, why are you going to such lengths? And Joseph's like, that what a ridiculous question. And I think we learn later it's not a ridiculous question. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I, I agree. This familiar guy, he contrasts with Evan a lot as well, which I like. Like Evan is this nice little boy who turned into a bird, and here we have this face stealing creature that turned into a guy who like staples faces onto his flayed face. Uh yep. and, and just talks about, talks about murder all the time. Uh <laughs> it's it's uh yeah but i I agree with what you said he's surprisingly he comes across as surprisingly down to earth like he's just very matter of factual like yeah i'm a murder spirit and like this is the murdering we're gonna have to do you know it's not (laughs) it's not emotional in any way it's just like uh, you know the facts of life i'm gonna murder some people yeah totally um yeah it it's uh very fun uh yeah, there's, there's these weird beats as well where uh, there's a part where there's a boy who, like, looks at him and kind of freaks out. And I like that you've pulled out this quote where he says, oh, the boy was still young enough to be innocent, it seemed. And it's just, like, this great little beats of this companion being really weird and creepy. Yeah. What also got me thinking, and I'm probably overthinking all this, but, wait, in Maggie's interlude, we saw that muggles usually can't really process what they're seeing when they see supernatural mm. stuff. And then this boy yeah. obviously did, and Joseph makes the point of noting that he's innocent. So I'm wondering if that's like a thing that you sort of, as a human, you lose your innocence, and if that's important. Like we've seen already that things like Barbatorum can be lured by innocence, and I'm wondering if innocence is actually something that can be, or well, it's a more defined trait than just this mm. general concept of innocence. Like I wonder if there's more to that word than uh yeah. Than you and think. we've also got we've also got bits of you know Rose and Blake who. Uh, like there was the the, the scene on the train. Uh, I think it was two pals, uh, and somebody saw, seemingly saw Rose, which is obviously something that doesn't happen that much. Um, maybe that's mm. like, oh, this was a, 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 an innocent. I don't know. Um, definitely a, a thread that can be kind of picked at there. Yeah, I, I I may be overreaching, but it feels like something that might come back. I don't know. Yeah. So the man Joseph is is looking for a girl. He's trying to rescue a girl. Um. This girl, he finds out, is still with her father, Canfield, who we get the sense is, is some kind of abusive, um, just from this early part of the chapter. And Joseph yeah. realises he's going to have to fight or kill Canfield to to free her. Well, so it's interesting, because we, we eventually get the impression, like, Canfield doesn't seem to, like, you know, physically or, or sexually or, or anything, like, abuse his daughter. It's almost just yeah. he's incredibly controlling and, yeah. and isolates her, which I'm not saying that's better or worse but it's just uh it it it's not the impression joseph first gives you in the way he describes like how awful canfield is to her in in all these various ways yeah 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 you're right it's not i i think it's interesting because i we feel i feel like we get the vibe from what joseph is saying that uh the the daughter's situation is worse than it ends up being right um yeah you, you know obviously it's not a great situation but you, you we we kind of get explicitly confirmed that Canfield isn't you know uh, legally abusing her right he's not physically or or sexually or, or mentally really abusing her but Joseph yeah. clearly feels like he is yeah exactly you go from 
this sense of, oh, he's abusing her to, oh, well, he just said that, and yeah, because he's a practitioner, we know we're not, he's not lying. It's like, oh, he's not actually physically abusing her. Oh, he's just controlling. And then yeah. that sort of get un- gets undermined later. So there's this real sense of, from Joseph's first impressions of him, we're sort of like, oh, this guy's terrible. And then it's like, oh, well, he's not the most terrible. And then it goes down again to maybe he wasn't <laughs> even actually that bad. Uh, and it's just yeah, Joseph's I, I, perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. He he definitely comes across as villainous when we do meet him. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think there's room for there's room for uh, interpretations onto how bad uh, Canfield probably actually was. Since it's yeah. packed, I, I I'd be willing to believe he is bad. Everyone's bad. Oh yeah, know? totally. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, we see uh, there's something I really like about this is we see Joseph doing a bit of magic. He does a he does a location spell to to find where where uh, the woman is, and he also uses some powder to make people ignore him. And obviously later we learn that this is uh, Fell's grandfather. But I, I like that this is kind of seeding like very fell types of magic when you don't immediately know, oh, this is, this is an ancestor of fell. It makes a reread of this chapter very fun. Cause you're like, oh, these are all things that fell has done. It makes sense that it's his <laughs> grandfather. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, probably just cause of the way we're going through this story, this is the part where I was like, oh, this is probably fell's ancestor because mm. we did get the whole thing from Fell about his ancestors, and then as soon as he started throwing powder around, that it just, to me, was like, oh, this guy... That clinched it for you? Yeah, because we haven't heard about, you know, the past, or this era of the past that much, so I think I think my mind just sort of went there, because those yeah. things were already on my mind, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Joseph makes his way over to the house and finds Canfield, um, and they... There's, they have a bit of a verbal spat before they, they start fighting. They, they have a, a proper practitioner duel. Really one of the first ones that we've seen uh, where it's a practitioner versus a practitioner and not like a practitioner versus a familiar or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it was really cool to see two competent and like knowledgeable practitioners uh, yeah. sort of throwing, their, throwing everything into a fight because uh, I don't think that's really anything we've seen before. It's cool. Yeah, it does feel like a, a wizard duel, right? It's it's, <laughs> it's got a fun vibe. Um, uh, it has a fun vibe for a while until uh, Joseph kind of swears to Canfield that he will see him die. Um, obviously, mm. making quite a strong oath there. Well, and it's interesting because he gets a bit of a power boost when he does that. Yeah. Which yeah, uh, like I think Blake's mentioned feeling a rush or whatever when he's when he's made promises to Rose. Yep. And things, and I just assumed that was more just the the power of what he was saying flowing through him. Whereas uh, Joseph seems to imply that it actually gives him a boost, which I guess I'm interpreting as the spirits being like, "Fuck yeah, like drama, like yeah. do it, yeah, drama. Uh, like, this is dope. Let's do it, yeah." <laughs> uh, which, yeah, which I guess is something I hadn't really processed that was maybe happening. Is the spirits kind of, you know, it's another way of getting a reward from from the spirits for doing something dramatically. Well. It's, it is a reward, but obviously it's a double-edged sword, as we'll find out in a bit. Yes. <laughs> um, Joseph, actually, with this power boost, seems like he's actually going to win. Uh, his familiar kind of comes in and pulls some cool tricks, and Canfield almost is completely beaten until Canfield pulls out his final trick. Um, he summons Conquest, the Lord of Toronto, and offers him, you know, his body in exchange for victory here and, and taking care of his daughter. Yeah, because um, he's already been stabbed in the gut a bunch, so he's basically, yeah. I think he knows Dying. he's going to die, so yeah. this is a kind of a way to to win without winning, I guess. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, there's another cool bit where one of the things Joseph uses is like a rusty ring and he uses a rust spirit. And he talks to her a bit about how it's a moderate spirit, which I'm still not fully sure I understand exactly what that means. But he says mm. that they're, they're relatively new and more common. Uh, and, and so presumably they have more to do with things that are manufactured. And I just, I, mm. I guess, I, I can't help but think that this is another sort of a thing because uh, we're learning that maybe spirits that have to do with manufactured or man-made things are kind of new and slightly different. And that bodes well for uh, people who want to maybe change the way big things to do with spirits work because uh, mm. it shows evidence that the nature of the spirits around the world can change more than just like what they're associated with but the nature of the things they're associated with changes the spirits a bit too like i, I feel yeah, like that could be true. important this is something that we've kind of touched on a bit just incidentally throughout the past arc or so um mm. the idea of the human world changing and impacting the spirits and this is a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good example of a, a, a way that that's shown to be possible to, yeah. to be happening. But this goes to a deeper level than I'd actually expected, because obviously I would expect, you know, there'd be less tree spirits and more paper spirits as we, you know, tear down the Amazon to, to make, like, paper and furniture and stuff. Yeah. But it, there's something different about the spirits of these manufactured materials, and that's, that's probably important, I, I would mm. imagine. Uh, and yeah. they, were already, they were already seeing it you know, a hundred or whatever years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point. I, I Yeah, I, I guess it makes sense that, you know, a tree spirit, for example, doesn't die and a paper spirit replaces it, but a tree spirit, like, adapts into a paper spirit, right? Whereas um, these are yeah. seemingly different, <laughs> a different class of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the relationship between spirits and, like, molecular physics is something I, I don't still have a firm grasp on and i probably <laughs> probably won't because yes. that'd be kind of weird to drill yeah. that far into it i think i think pact is a much more symbolic universe and it probably doesn't make sense to go that deep into how spirits work uh yeah me mechanically but yeah yeah um but uh so conquest uh conquest seer conquest seer and he starts fucking shit up <laughs> basically um his classic mo uh, he comes in and and uh, takes over Canfield's body and basically reveals to Joseph, oh, you have, you fucked up now. Yeah, well, because he, uh, he didn't fulfill the promise of watching Canfield die because Canfield's yes. kind of not dead. Canfield uh, didn't die and Joseph definitely didn't get a chance to watch it. Yes. And yeah, so Conquest offers him an out basically saying, you know, you can be forsworn, which is obviously really bad because you're vulnerable to... Everything that can kill Everything. a normal human and another. <laughs> yeah. uh, or Conquest will basically take him under his wing and, I guess, empower him separately so that he has the ability to, you, you know, still exist, basically. Uh, but obviously yeah. that comes at the cost of serving Conquest. Of being owned by Conquest. Not just being owned by Conquest, but you and all your descendants from the point that they learn, you know, from the point that they awaken, being at Conquest's service. Yeah, which is which is definitely the point where you're like, okay, yeah, hundred percent, this is Fell's uh, ancestor. Uh, yeah. If you didn't suspect it already, uh, but I, I love this bit just before Conquest sort of actually binds him, where there's there's bits where Conquest basically says, "Prove me wrong, like show me that there's yeah. a path where you're not forsworn, and I'll actually help you do it." Uh, which really, to me, conveys the sense of how defeated Joseph is even more because. Con like conquest offering to help 
shows how confident he is that there is no way oh, yeah. for, for you to help. So it's like it's even more of a sort of slam on, on any hope uh, Joseph and might it, have had. <laughs> it also is like, it also feels like Conquest is like genuinely trying to offer him a way out here because he knows there isn't one and he knows that that will make the binding that much more powerful like yeah the fact that it's so unquestionable the fact that he gives him the chance twice for an out Mm -hmm. it really just like (laughs) the binding is very it seems very you know final yeah it's it's a very conquest as well to really just unnecessarily uh remind you how much he's won by uh you know And then I, I love I love sort of how this whole sort of segment of the chapter ends because there's this little twist of the knife. Uh, when he agrees to be bound by conquest, he has that moment of, oh, I'm kind of serving Canfield now, which mm-hmm. obviously doesn't gel with him. But that pales in comparison to what happens afterwards when uh, Courtney, uh, I'm pretty sure is her name, uh, the girl who he's done all of this to rescue, basically comes down and is like, I didn't want your help <laughs> which yeah. is uh oh. brutal uh, anyway, th- he says <sighs> this is the point where he's lost and and again you know this is something conquest promised him that he gets to marry courtney and now you see that's probably yep. not even a good thing so there's no well, winning yeah here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we jump forward in time and we see how unhappy their relationship ends up being um courtney has yeah in a way joseph has also made courtney be bound by this right because Mm, Canfield says protect Courtney, and the way that uh, the, the the way that Conquest does this is by marrying her to Joseph, which is like seems like not something that she even really wanted. Um, it's definitely not in the spirit of what Canfield wanted either, considering he yeah. died trying to prevent exactly this. Yes, um, Conquest really capitalizes on this situation <laughs> that he finds himself in. Um, so we we jump forward in time and we see an older Joseph abusing his son matthew um basically yeah saying a series of incredibly horrible things to him in in an argument here yeah well he's basically everything that he was acting like canfield was like you know he immediately comes across as your kind of um you know in fiction we've seen other abusive uh drunk fathers before and that's very much the role he's he's sort of filling to a t uh, which in retrospect works because we we sort of find out that it's mostly put on. Um, you know, this is all this is all a ploy to make Matthew so miserable he'll run away, which is yeah, or kill Joseph. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a plan. Um, and it almost works. It it's close. Yeah, but it it again it's so packed because this this works fantastically on a reread. Uh, yeah, reading all of the things that uh, Joseph says to Matthew. Yeah. You can see the genuine truth hidden behind it. Like, I pulled out this one line um, where Joseph says, I have never been more disappointed than when I first set eyes on you, which, you know, is obviously meant to be offending Matthew, but you can read that from Joseph's genuine feelings, which is like, you know, having a son and knowing that he'd end up in Conquest's control, like, would have been very disappointing. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I I love how much the meaning of text can change based on your context. And that's something Pact plays with really well, uh, as we've seen multiple times already. Yeah. So Matthew pulls out Joseph's gun, points it at him, and Joseph tries to kind of bait him into pulling the trigger, but he doesn't. Matthew says he'll kill him after he gets the book on the books on, on, on being a practitioner. 
he touches a book and Conquest shows up and reveals, hey, you're now bound to serve me. Um, And Joseph, obviously, (laughs) is very distraught by this. Yeah, it's it's, It's really rough. (laughs) It's so tragic because Joseph, I mean, essentially, Joseph did a bunch of really horrible stuff to everyone he loves to try and hopefully make something good happen. And it didn't work. So it was all for nothing. And that just sucks for everyone. Yeah. Except Conquest. Except Conquest. Yeah. For Conquest, (laughs) this is a very happy progression. Um, So uh, we, we jump forward again. We jump forward to Matthew, now older talking to Isadora, actually, uh, to, to kind of mm. seek confirmation on a plan that he's been cooking up. Um, he married his wife, knowing that she would be unfaithful, and hoping that the children that she bore wouldn't end up being his. It's a pretty good plan. Another pretty good um, plan, yeah. <laughs> They're creative, these, these Atwells. Like, I, I'd argue it's a lot better than his father's. I guess his father didn't have the freedom to pick an unfaithful wife, but... Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually, I, I quite liked seeing Isadora in a setting where she wasn't trying to kill people. Uh, yeah, isn't it fun? I, I, f- I find her very interesting, and I, and I have a feeling this is, like, later in the chapter we hear about how uh, Fell and his mother are expecting uh, some other players to make their plays while all this stuff's going on with Blake, and I have a feeling yep. Isadora was going to be one of them anyway, and this almost confirms it to you, just reminding you Isadora exists in the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that she clearly is uh, talking to Matthew here in a in a framing of we both kind of want to fuck over conquest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she's very much it's the same vibes she gives off in the current day, which is she's not really in a spot where she wants to outwardly act against him, but she's happy to help people undermine him, uh, except Blake. Yeah. Um, a fun little beat is that we we find out that uh, Matthew picked an unfaithful wife who was a skilled enchantress. And actually, mm. when I wrote this, I was like, oh, this makes me really think she's a Duchamp. And I forgot that that's explicitly confirmed, yeah. basically, <laughs> later on. Um, yeah, I just is. think that's a, a hilarious little bit of, like, his unfaithful wife also just happens to be a Duchamp. Yeah, I mean, seemingly you can't go 30 metres in, in southern Ontario without running into someone who's married a Duchamp <laughs> woman uh, and put her in a powerful yep. position. They're everywhere. Yeah. Unfortunately, Isadora says to him, it gives him a little spiel about fate, which is very in character for her, <laughs> and uh, says to him, no, fate has fucked with you. Your wife's children are going to be yours, unfortunately. Yeah, which, you know, he's going to be one of the first people in history to be really disappointed to hear that his spouse hasn't been cheating on him enough. Well, I actually think my interpretation of this is that she has, but just due to fate slash unluckiness. Um, the kids that she's going to have are, are his and not kids that she may have had with, with, you know, whoever else. Well, no, but that just means she needed to be more unfaithful. That's true. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess she should have been even less faithful than, than she was. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really hard to hear that because I, I just thought this was such a good plan. Then Isadora just shuts it down uh, so finally. Like, there's no, from either of them, sense that she might be wrong it's just immediately like yep yeah, it's not gonna work and so i guess he's back to the drawing board yeah uh back to the drawing board we jump forward again and now we're finally seeing our main man fell um the third in line who is kind of leaving blake as blake goes to fight the erasure demon yeah and you know we get to see blake from fell's perspective and he's not looking good uh as, as we <laughs> expected uh 
Uh, we find out later that Fel's actual name is Malcolm. Uh, I guess Fel is just his, you know, uh, cape name, I guess. Yeah, or like a, a title maybe that is, you know, p- potentially Joseph and Matthew and Malcolm were all just called Fel by Conquest. Mm. Yeah, it could be a Who title. Knows? Yeah. Um, so there's a quote that I want to pull out here because it's going to be relevant to something that we were planning on talking about anyway. Um, the, where where uh, Fel is, is observing Blake as he heads in. Um, the little familiar had taken to the air, circling around a few times, while three maimed goblins with chains around their necks trudged behind, dragging bundles of halogen lights and wires. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it has only just occurred to me what the halogen lights and wires there are for. Um, I'm so bummed that that didn't work. That was my favourite one of the plans. I forgot. I completely forgot that he actually did try neon, light, neon <laughs> lights after Fell explicitly calls it tacky. That's classic. Yeah, it's good. Uh, but yeah, so the, I mean, the reason the reason we brought this up is because uh, the some of the discussions around five point six that we had led to some great comments that we got uh, on Reddit and in our Discord that we really wanted to bring up because it uh, recontextualizes so much of what we've been talking about the last few chapters. Yeah. Um, so the first one was from Wabo, uh, who kind of mentioned to us that uh, the the hyena was stated to have had like goblin minions, and then we never saw them. And you know that's basically what we're seeing here, uh, and what yeah. we what we saw uh, from Blake's perspective when the goblin like bits uh, were in his field of view. Uh, yeah. Which just uh, I mean it it was so well set up, and you know the, all the hints were there. Uh, you just have to put them together. It's it's really well done. Yeah, I, I I like. I have to say, I think I I kind of understand the interpretation that seeing it actually spelled out like this kind of takes away from it a bit. But mm-hmm. I think there's so much going on in these stories. <laughs> I I I personally completely forgot about the the goblins, and I I yeah. don't think I even like when we. When we were rereading it, this is the first time I all these pieces kind of fell into place for me, right? Just because mm. when you're reading it, uh, when you're binging it, or even as it's coming out, you you don't always yeah. stop enough to to really appreciate it. Yeah, and so I understand, you know, like uh, from a from a story writing perspective, if if this was a novel, I would say we probably don't need the explicit confirmation here. But because of the serial format, I think it just makes sense to make sure that people kind of get those pieces put together. Yeah, because I definitely think I probably am in the camp. Uh, I, I It blew my mind so much when, when Walbo mentioned this to us uh, before I'd read 5.x uh, and because of the mm. sort of way it had been done. And I, I I did feel a little bit that just sort of seeing them from Fell's perspective or from the third person or whatever the reason is that, that it's remembered here kind of detracted mm. from it but I, I do also think that almost nobody well we didn't even really put it together until we saw them here it, it was probably necessary it's uh it, it's just still a shame that it had to be spelled out for us i guess yeah and we're going to talk about more of the retrospective implications that this has in a bit but i i do think there's an interpretation of people reading the story who see some of the things that we're about to talk about and think oh this is an indication of a story that doesn't make sense right like Mm. oh blake beat the hyena really easily or oh blake decided to fight the the erasure demon when he shouldn't have um you know stuff that we were kind of hinting at in our read through right like why is blake so intent on doing this um and obviously we kind of we kind of now see the pieces fall together that it's because the way we see it isn't the way it actually unfolded but yeah 
without this explicit confirmation, I think it would be a it, it it would be a lot more possible that people would go, oh, this just doesn't kind of make internal sense. You know? Yeah, it'd be it'd be way easier to miss. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I guess we'll just take a, a minute or two now to bring up some of the other points people made after Wildbo told us about the the hyenas' minions and how you know it it became clear that Blake had co opted them into helping him. Um, yeah. So we we got a comment from um, Matt Freeman, who of mm-hmm. course most most listeners here will know as the guy who came on to Media MD about a month ago and recommended Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Top of the IMDb list there. <laughs> <laughs> And he mentioned the, the 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 moment that we called out at five point six, where Blake is just suddenly standing there and is like, "Hey, this was a fucking awful idea." We yeah. were kind of, we we kind of made fun of him for just having that realization there. But Matt points out that was probably the point where all the ideas he did have had finally been erased, yeah. and he finally caught up to the level we were on, having not seen them up till now. So we like we were already thinking you don't have any good ideas, and now that they've all been erased, he's finally at that point too. So it wasn't. It wasn't as sudden a realization for him because, you know, it was just that uh, his other memories had been getting erased. Yeah, I want to jump onto this one as well and say that this probably also implies uh, that we, and I hate to say it, might have been a bit unfair to Blake in (laughs) 5.5 when we were talking about the car trip and how he coerces Rose into agreeing with him. Absolutely. What actually happened there is he had more than three ideas and we only saw the two and a half that he ended up with, I suppose. Yeah, well, and because I did go back and sort of skim it, and there are bits where the the numbers as they're counting to three don't quite add up, and it, it's not really yeah. explained, and it's because we're missing segments of yeah. the conversation. Uh, we're basically. missing at least the goblins and the uh, the halogen lights. That, yeah, <laughs> fell calls very tacky. <laughs> Uh, and so we did have people on uh, on both on Reddit and in our Discord actually call us out on with that in mind. Yeah, you're right. We we were probably a bit harsh on Blake in the car ride. Uh, in retrospect, I don't now know. that we know, I mean, definitely the version we saw. I think we were fair to him, but now <laughs> now we know that uh, that probably isn't a fair version of events. So yeah, and for all we know, I mean, really, we can't be sure that anything we've seen in the story up till now is. 100% right, right. Um, and so maybe Blake is just a really good friend to Rose and never breaks any of his promises <laughs> and we're just getting the bad version of it. Okay, I don't think the Erasure Demon was that thorough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Erasure Demon really just wanted to fuck with Blake and Rose's dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I actually, I, I do really like that uh, most of these companions who seemingly died were the hyena stuff because it would... Uh, wait, and this is something other science fiction and that sort of stuff has done that kind of peeves me is when you rewrite the history of the story that much, it can kind of undercut the value of the previous mm. section. And, and so really ha- seemingly most of what Blake lost was recently acquired allies, which which I quite yes. like because yes. I, I think, yeah, it doesn't really undermine everything we've seen in like arcs two and three. Like if we'd known that there was a companion he'd had up until like for the, for the whole story that he'd lost. Yeah. I like I would have felt like that took something away from the whole story up until now and, and Blake's achievements mm. up until now. Uh so I'm glad that it's it's a bit more muted than that uh but still we get that effect of having lost yeah. companions. Yeah, all we really know is I mean, you know, the hyena fight obviously obviously <laughs> there's a point where Blake suddenly is like, yeah, the, we're going to beat the hyena now and it kind of is a is a very quick turn. Um Obviously, that mm. makes more sense if if we now have these goblin minions that have been co-opted along the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think going that far back totally feels fair. But 
if it had gone all the way back to the start of the story, it would have felt a, a little bit, a little bit undercutting uh, to me, to the to the yeah. whole rest of the story. Thinking about this now, uh, are there any things in Arc Five in the police station that feel off? I because uh, when I think about things that felt off, it's the quick turnaround on the hyena fight, uh, and and the the reason that Blake went into the to the Razor Demon to start with. Right, those are the two points where I think we we definitely know something's going on here. I can't think of anything in the in the police station arc that that made me feel like oh there was additional work going on here, which probably means that the goblins were locked up or whatever, not available to him at that point. No, pre- presumably they didn't go to jail with him, and he had to go and fetch them like on the way, and he's just forgotten that whole yeah. like bit where they went to go meet up with them. Yeah. Uh, so Fell leaves Blake and his goblin friends, his goblin best friends, to uh to to go and and basically prepare to think about how he can resist conquest. Um, he's kind mm. of thinking about how Blake re- represents a way for conquest to build up power, where Fell and his family have been trying to slowly drain power from conquest. Um. And and Phil is kind of thinking about how can I, how can I fuck with Blake to stop conquest from becoming more powerful within the limitations of of being bound to conquest. Yeah, and and sort of throughout this, we're getting sort of sprinkled out these little ways that Phil's family has been undermining conquest, like slowly, like they, yeah, they fulfill his requests, but they try to do it in such a way that it doesn't quite get him as much power as it could or something. So slowly he's been kind of weakening through their efforts is is basically yeah. the idea we explicitly fell calls out how his dad uh was was given an order by conquest that he didn't want to follow and did it so badly that conquest lost power and a rival lord gained power one oh, and the dad died yeah and the dad died yes suicide by by order yeah talk about malicious compliance yeah uh which yeah man that's such a tragic ending to Ah, oh, fuck, man. The story of these of these <laughs> Atwells is, is really just rough. Um, yeah. As Phil's driving, we get more multiple beats of, of him speeding. He does 90 in a 50 zone, which is insanely speeding. Um, <laughs> he does a 60-minute drive in 39 minutes. It's sort of like, these are, these are crazy speeds. Yeah, but it's interesting because before, he's been speeding just to be reckless, whereas here... There's much more of an undercurrent of, you know, he's rushing to get home. Like, there's yeah. there's a purpose as well as the recklessness uh, this time. Yeah. I, there's a quote that I want to pull out as what a thing Fell thinks as he's driving back, which to me is like a very important idea for the chapter. Fell thinks Fell had little pity for those who'd been doomed by circumstance. Mm. And this to me is the key thing that is trying to be conveyed by five 5.x is Fell... Fel, himself is fucked by circumstance um and blake is fucked by circumstance and you know that's that sucks for blake and fell kind of recognizes that but it's unforgivable for blake to to give conquest power so despite the fact that it's not his fault fell knows it's not his fault he can't have compassion for him he has to act on it yeah i mean essentially he's so busy being fucked by fate that he doesn't really have space to uh empathize with other people who are going through the same sort of thing which yeah. uh you know isn't great but it's it's understandable yeah and and even more than that i'd say fell and his family have by circumstance had to devote their entire lives to trying to weaken conquest like that's just that's just the lot that they're, they're dealt right yeah um yeah and so you know Sorry, Blake, but I'm not going to give up literally my life's purpose <laughs> just for you. Like you're not, 
you're not important than me and my children and my niece and my parents and everybody that I that I have loved and will love, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so Fel makes it home in in a nice tight 39 minutes uh <laughs> and and uh, we we meet his niece and his mother. Um and his niece is young, hasn't yet been awakened and and it's clear that Fel is trying to keep her from becoming awakened. Yeah, well, it really humanizes him a lot more, like, you know, seeing this niece who he's essentially, you know, become stepfather of uh, since his brother killed himself, maliciously complying with conquest requests as well, uh, as is is the family tradition. Yeah. Yeah, like, it it really, it it gives you that sense that he's got something to lose, you know? Um, Yeah. And uh, the niece kind of goes to bed and and Phil and his mother, uh, Jacqueline, Jacqueline? I thought, sorry, I, I thought Jacqueline was the friend of the niece at whatever castle she went to. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. We get so many hits about this castle. I have a feeling that's that's maybe another thing that's going to be a thing. I don't know. I feel like I'm saying that yeah. a lot. Maybe I'm just trying to grab onto any potential hint <laughs> and just say that's a thing. <laughs> um, so Fel and his mother uh, start talking about Blake and what will happen if Blake fails or what happens if Blake is beholden to conquest. And his mother kind of makes some interesting points here. Yeah, I mean, and so essentially they, you know, they do some theory crafting. Uh, yeah, but classic. They, they know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they they basically piece together that apparently if Blake gets killed, uh, that's a good thing for Rose, which is mm. not at all the impression uh, Rose and Blake seem to be operating on. Yes. Uh, so, so basically, uh, Conquest does want Blake to die because that actually hands the reins of the Thorburn line properly over to Rose, who he currently has trapped. So on a chain, yeah. Uh, if Blake yeah. dies, they seem to think Rose will basically supplant him, mm. uh, and if that happens, obviously Rose is properly chained, and so Conquest has a stronger hold over the power. <laughs> and and the 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 mother kind of ends this thought by saying to Fell. I think it's in your best interest to be helping Blake here. Finally, someone... Yeah, we're, we're getting closer to the Fell and Blake team up, which is very hype. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- so we get this fun line as well uh, from where the mother says, My family doesn't particularly want him to do well here. My own feelings, well, I feel fairly lukewarm about my family's wishes, given how things have played out in the last decade or two. Saying my family doesn't particularly want him to do, him being Blake, him to do well here, is is pretty strong confirmation that that the mother is a Duchamp, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. And and I mean, it's interesting as well because like we've had Sandra's interlude, and we know that Sandra was with Jeremy, like actively yep. plotting against conquest, yep. for for years. And you know now she's seemingly the head of the household, so that was a, a somewhat central operation that the Duchamps were running. But it yep. turns out the whole time, meanwhile, they had. Like this lady here, uh, you know, sort of really in conquests camp. So yeah. I can see why she's pretty bitter because it seems like at some point they more or less abandoned her and focused everything on uh, Sandra and Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> well, that didn't go so well either, apparently. Uh, well, no, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I could see, I could see why she's kind of like, well, stuff yeah. them. The Duchamps seem to be in the business of trying to fuck over conquest and not being successful. <laughs> So this conversation kind of uh, starts to wind down when Conquest tugs on Fell and Fell is pulled to the tower. Um, Conquest gives Fell a few instructions and Fell leaves to kind of pick up Blake 
when he notices Rose has also been pulled into Conquest's tower. And Conquest starts getting her to tell him about what they're planning, and Fel advises her it's easier if she just obeys. Uh, at which point she basically spills the beans on everything, yeah. Yeah, it's a real, like, oh, oh no moment, yeah. uh, just because, you know, she says, uh, he, she tells him about Pose's timer and yeah. uh, about the hyena and the knights of the basement, and I mean, yeah. God, I, I hope this is something where Rose... There's more to Rose's plan or whatever, uh, but I, I'm not. It, I'm not. Even, I'm not. I'm not betting money on that. Let's just say yeah, it doesn't feel a- like it. Does it? It feels pretty tragic. It feels like Rose is broken. Is beaten. Yeah, and then and obviously Blake uh, by proxy. Uh, yeah. Which yeah, and I mean I guess I noticed that the next arc is called subordination, which <laughs> bodes not well at all. Uh, mm. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, God, I can't, I can't wait to see what happens going forward. <sighs> yeah, we'll see. So, uh, that's that's where arc five ends, though. Um, it ends with Rose with the, you know, there being about two hours until Powers is freed and Rose revealing what they've been planning to conquest. Which was, yeah, I mean, surprise was really the only element in their favor. So, yep. And now, I mean, you know. Now Blake's going to go in thinking, all right, I've got a plan. Uh, <laughs> but obviously the surprise has now become Conquest's weapon. Um, <sighs> that's the end of Arc 5, Conviction. And so let's kind of yep. chat a bit about, about Conviction here. Um, what does it mean? What are, what are the meanings of Conviction that we think are running through this, <laughs> through this, uh, through this chapter? Obviously the, the obvious one is Blake spends a lot of this chapter inside a police station trying to avoid a Conviction. Um, that's a, that yeah. is the, the surface layer. Not much really to say about it, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a fair bit of uh, people getting forsworn uh, going around in this, which you yeah, could true. say is akin, you know, you're being convicted by the spirits. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much I'm reaching there, um, but, you know, there is, there is this sort of sense of people uh, falling into punishments uh, sort of mm. spread throughout this arc. Um, mm. You know, Evan, Evan just agreed to be Blake's familiar, which... Uh, I guess we'll see how that turns out, but that might be a conviction of its own, of its own kind, uh, <laughs> potentially. Um, yes. So the other meaning of conviction, the one I think we we really want to talk about here, is is you know certainty. Um, yeah. And I, I, I one one of the meanings that I, I like from this uh, is we were talking about Rose and Blake in in that car arc, the uh, the retconned car trip that they were both so stubborn, right? Um, hmm. I think this is one of the, the parts of the chapter that I really like, is exploring what what it looks like when it's Blake without Rose, Blake with Evan, and then putting Blake and Rose against, you know, in air quotes, against each other. I mean, the fact that I can even <laughs> say they're against each other is kind of wild when they're so clearly on the same team. Um, having having the dynamic there play off and seeing how, how, st- how stubborn they are. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that sort of ties into to the next point i think which is you know and we talked about this a lot in the first half of the arc but yeah four point x really left us with this idea of diablos taking the easy way out and this arc has really been defined by blake refusing to do that and having the conviction uh to try and do things uh properly you know sacrificing himself uh rather than taking the easy way and that takes a certain amount of stubbornness that uh, you know yeah. he obviously shares a bit with Rose. Um, yeah, 
and and this is kind of where we get to the implications of this, right? Because I think the theme of this arc is Blake is self-sacrificing. He's so certain in the way of he's convinced. He he says with a lot of conviction, the right way to do things is for me to be self-sacrificing, right? I, I bleed myself out. I I don't call the lawyers to take that easy way out. I, I don't do any of this stuff. Um it's all about me sacrificing myself to make this play. And 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 the the problem is though, he's not <laughs> When you're bound to Rose and Evan in the way that he is, you can't you can't make this sacrifice play because it's so selfish, right? Um, obviously, we know that there's a little bit more going on there now with 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 five point X, but Blake is so willingly, you know, willing to throw himself under the bus, uh, and that to in his mind and in Rose's mind and in Evan's mind, if 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 he does that, that's gonna fuck with all of them. That's gonna fuck with with Rose, with Evan, with everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like Blake's conviction, for lack of a better <laughs> yeah. word, um, there it's, is no better word. It's a great title. Uh, <laughs> uh, to you know, just push through no matter what the obstacles or how terrible the odds. Seemingly, like he just keeps moving forward or trying yeah. to move forward. Uh, and yeah, I think that's really what carries this arc together. And and that sort of ends. Yeah. You know, I mean, five point six ends with him finally going no like i need to slow the hell down for a second and he and Mm. that's when he obviously uh leaves the building um but you know it it, it, the arc is very much defined by blake constantly pushing forward yeah i i think this chapter 5.6 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire story 5.x as well is very very on point i just we're getting into the parts of the story that really really resonate with me and i'm excited to to kind of keep continuing and seeing where it goes next uh, i mean me too it it's funny because i remember when we started arc four and i knew arc four was a long arc i was like oh okay you know we'll do the toronto arc that's fine uh and <laughs> you, you kept you kept telling me we're probably gonna be here a while and i guess you know now we're heading into I don't, yeah i don't know why you think we're going back to <laughs> jacob's bell ever Okay, I still think that, but I am starting to question when it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I I definitely thought Toronto was going to be a one, maybe two arc thing, but it doesn't mm. seem like we're done here uh, at all. Yeah, I I also I like that we're seeing the tendrils of Jacob's Bell becoming more evident in Toronto as well, right? Um, primarily through the Duchamps, but through the Behames as well, uh, and I'm excited to. For those stories to converge a bit more. Uh, if they do, we'll yeah. see, I suppose. <laughs> then, uh, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, there have been there have been so many uh, ties to Jacob's Bell expressed in, in Toronto. It, they're, they're very interwoven, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's the end of our, of our discussion of 5.x, though. Uh, these episodes are getting longer and longer, Elliot. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the next chapters get simpler and shorter. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure the story is we've 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 passed the the, the uh, confrontation now. Um, Blake's gonna go to conquest, get sub- subjugated, subordinated, and uh, yeah, then it'll just be short the chapters of him reading out different demon names, I guess. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us for our discussion of of, of arc five and, and chapter five point X. If you have any thoughts on this chapter or on the arc as a whole, uh, feel free to leave them in our discussion thread, which you can find in the episode description down below yes and if you want to get in touch with us in another way uh, you can find us on twitter at media md podcast 
Yes, or if you want to get in touch with us in another other way, uh, you can head to our website, which is doofmedia.com. Uh, we're a proud member of the Doof Media Network, and there are a bunch of great shows on there that you can check out if you head to that website. Yeah, and of course, if you want to support us and the rest of the shows on the Doof Network, head to patreon.com slash doofmedia. Uh, you get a bunch of cool perks for helping us out. Uh, this very chapter, we, we kind of made reference to some of the awesome discussions that was happening once we found out the, the kind of twist about these uh, goblins that were eaten by Ur. Um, so to, to participate in some of those discussions, if you back us on Patreon, at I think any of the tiers, you get access to our Patreon-only Discord, where we can yep. talk about all kinds of things, all, all the all the Wild Bow Story goodness, but also miscellaneous things, like uh, the 2019 Marble Olympics is a hot topic at the moment. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. That's, that's for our other, other show. <laughs> um uh, while you're on Patreon, you should also check out Wildbo's Patreon at patreon.com slash wildbo. Uh, he obviously creates all these cool stories uh, and is so uh, engaged with the community and does all these cool things uh, with everybody. So definitely, uh, if you haven't, uh, please do go and, and support Wildbo making all this awesome content for us uh, at his Patreon. Yeah. And uh, so I guess apart from that, we'll see everyone on uh, Monday the 29th for Chapter 6.1, New Arc. Mm. See you then.